0: We're not going back to pre COVID.
1: No, it's going to be way better. It's yeah. going to be way better. You're going to see, a, I, th- I think you're going to see potentially, if the market is left without too much interference, if the market is left to heal and to mm-hmm. recover, I think that we'll see a boom. And I think accountants can participate in that boom if they choose to.
2: Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, where it's all about believing in and executing on different and innovative ways to strengthen both your leadership and communication skills to help increase your success, and especially in today's disruptive business environment. One of the most effective ways of building stronger leadership and communication skills is by embracing the principles of improvisation. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Improv your host peter margaritas is an improv virtuoso he's also a certified speaking professional and a cpa also known as the accidental accountant each episode of change your mindset is designed to bring you different and innovative ideas thoughts and behavioral changes on a variety of differing topics with the sole purpose of strengthening your critical soft skills We may call them soft skills, but they are the hardest to master. And when we do, greater success and growth is the result. So jump in and start changing your mindset now. Let's start the show.
0: Are you thinking about selling your accounting firm? Is there anyone in the firm that wants to take over the firm? If not, what are your options? When should you start thinking about selling your firm? Is your firm in a market-ready shape? Are you looking to grow your firm through acquisitions? Well, those questions and more will be discussed by my guest, Brandon Poe, who's the founder of Poe Group Advisors, and has been facilitating successful accounting practice transitions throughout the U.S. and Canada since 2003. He's also the creator of Accounting Practice Academy, which is an eight-week virtual workshop for accounting practice owners. And you can learn more about this by going to Advisors, all one word, dot com slash accounting hyphen practice hyphen academy. Brendan is the author of the Accounting Practice Insights blog and hosts the Accounting Flight Plan podcast with other top thought leaders in the accounting profession. Brandon is an EY alum. He has worked with some of the most successful and seasoned CPAs in the industry and has been privy to the -the behind-the-scenes method that these clients have used to build highly profitable practices along with capable and independent teams. Brandon has authored multiple books, including Accountant's Flight Plan, Best Practices for Today's Firm, published both by the AICPA and CPA Canada, and On Your Own, how to Start Your Own CPA Firm, second edition, published by the AICPA. Brandon is passionate about entrepreneurship and is currently the president-elect of the Entrepreneurs' Organization of Charleston, South Carolina. You know how sometimes when you meet someone, you immediately hit it off? Well, that was us when he interviewed me on his podcast. So much so, during the interview, I made him an offer that I would run a virtual improv workshop that I was developing Sort of a beta test. Well, he took me up on it, and four days later, I successfully facilitated the workshop to his team. Brandon is a great guy with a wealth of information that I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation. Before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. This podcast is part of the
1: C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business.
2: This episode is sponsored by Peter A. Margaritas, LLC, also known as The Accidental Accountant. Are you looking for a speaker that can bring powerful content, virtually or in-person or on-site, that is memorable and engaging in a way that motivates and inspires your audience? Instead of data dumping and numbing with numbers, imagine your people and teams delivering a financial story to your stakeholders a story that creates engaging and relationship-building business conversations. Would you be interested in learning more about how that is accomplished? How would you feel if the value your facilitator provided your organization far exceeded the dollar amount on their invoice? Peter Margaritas, CPA and certified speaking professional, delivers all of the above and much, much more. All of Peter's programs can be done virtually, In person and on site at your location or at an off-site venue. Send Peter a note at peter at petermargaritas.com and or visit his website at www.petermargaritas.com to learn more about what Peter can bring to your next conference, management retreat, or workshop.
0: Now, let's get to the interview with Brandon Poe. Hey, welcome back, everybody. My special guest today is a gentleman who lives in one of my all time favorite cities, Charleston, South Carolina. And it's Mr. Brandon Poe, who I was a guest on his podcast couple months ago, I do believe, and I reciprocated, and I'm so looking forward to this conversation, and he's just back from vacation. He's extremely relaxed, smiling, got a tan on. Brandon, thank you so much for taking time to be on my podcast.
1: Uh, Thanks for inviting me, Peter. Glad to be here. Thank you.
0: So I've said it in the intro that your company buys and sells CPA firms. And that's that's all you do. You, you're, you did start your career off at EY. I guess that's what they call it now. Right. And, and they took the A the and out as just EW. <laughs> 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 and you spent time there and you spent time a, 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 a in business. What What made you decide to go into buying and selling firms?
1: Well, it's interesting. So when I left public practice, I got into a small plumbing distribution company. And then we started a company. These companies aren't really around much anymore, but back in the 90s, we started a cultured marble manufacturing company. Cultured marble like sinks and bathtubs, and we sold to hotels, and you don't see cultured marble much anymore. But anyway, when I moved to Charleston in the year 2000, I decided I wanted to get out of the marble business And we got approached by a competitor to buy us out. And so we got into negotiation with them, and we ended up not selling to them, but my partner ended up buying me out of the marble business. and So that was my first experience with the negotiation and just the whole whole act of selling a business. And I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, "Eh, this is pretty cool, you know? Yeah. And I like to start things. I'm really good at initiating. So, uh, the transactional nature of what I do um, has some pros for me. I kind of miss some of the some of the clients I really like. I was like, man, I wish I could keep them as clients long term. But once they sell or they buy, we don't really have much of a relationship after that, typically. But um, anyway, that was my first taste of business brokerage and. I really enjoyed it, and and I got the opportunity to get into it full-time in 2003.
0: So you've been doing this for 16 years, 16, 17 years. Right. Um, And you're you're based out of Charleston, but you also have, I I don't think satellite office is the right word, in
1: Quebec? We have one in Montreal, an affiliate in Montreal, and we have uh, an affiliate agent in Toronto as well okay
0: uh which is which is really kind of cool yeah. you you've got an international business
1: yeah i mean we're um we have buyers in all fifty states and all provinces of Canada. wow,
0: that's impressive so, so in thinking about this and i'm thinking thinking that okay, talk about the sellers, okay what tends to be some of the main reasons why? Partners in a firm want to sell their firm to another firm to get to get bought in.
1: Well, and most of our clients are going to be under $5 million in, in annual revenue. Um, okay. What we see in the marketplace is generally when firms are much larger and have a large number of partners, most of those firms do transition internally. Okay. Um there are definitely exceptions to that there are large mergers and things but our bread and butter is sort of that smaller firm and often there's just not anyone in the firm capable of of taking over or wanting to take over and um if a seller most of our sellers they want to retire so they contact us sometimes 3 5 years before they're ready to exit Hmm. Uh, just to start a rapport. And, um, you know, we don't pressure anyone to sell before they're ready because we've learned through experience. (laughs) People sell when they're truly ready to sell. You don't want to, I mean, you don't want to put it on the market before you're ready to exit. Right. and I I give them
0: credit for at least thinking about it, putting it at that time frame out. Right. so they know what's in store for And I imagine they're very sensitive about their clients and making sure there's a smooth transition with that client base into the new firm.
1: Right. And a lot of times they want to get, they call us because they're, they've got a lot of things on their mind. They want to exit, but they're not sure their firm is absolutely in ready, market ready shape. What can they do to get ready? When are they ready? Um, one of the first things I always talk about when somebody calls us is like, what is your, you know, what is your time frame? Because if they tell me their time frame is five years versus, hey, I'm ready now, that's a very those are two very different conversations.
0: What is market ready shape? What does that look like?
1: Well, I think of a a market ready shape is a firm that I feel confident that we can sell and gonna have good demand for. Um, some of those things are not going to be within the control of the seller. Location being a perfect example. If you're in a major metropolitan area, you're naturally going to have more demand than if you're in a rural, smaller area. Okay. Um, but there are a lot of things that will increase the marketability, namely the cash flow to owner or the profitability of the firm. There are also other things like number of hours. I think those are the two biggies. So if, Especially the younger generation of buyers, Mm -hmm. they want lower owner hours. Whereas the exiting, there's there's a generational gap there. Yeah. And the the boomers that are typically your people who are retiring, not always, but um, typically they have a different sort of mindset around work hours. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's <kinda> kind of <laughs> kind the, the, the way you put the way you worded that
0: <laughs> yeah it's a different mindset completely than the younger generation buying the firm
1: yeah and and I don't I don't think it's um, you know a lot of millennials take a lot of flack for having a lazy mindset I don't view it that yeah. way I don't view it that way at all. Actually, I think they're pretty smart. Like, um, why would if you can work fifteen hundred hours a year instead of twenty five hundred hours a year, why wouldn't you work fifteen hundred instead of twenty five?
0: But you if, remember back in those days at EY? Oh, how many how, how many hours you work? I worked. Oh I, man,
1: we I worked a hundred hours a week. Yeah, I mean they, I, they 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 would just. I remember I remember this. You're going to laugh at this, Peter, because I had a senior tell me, "Hey." Head down, pencil moving. That was if you weren't if you were talking or not working. Head down, pencil moving. <laughs> that was the you know that was the mindset back right. then. Right. It was it was a badge of honor. It, it was. was. And there was a
0: guy at, at, at PW when I was there who tried to build twenty five hours in a twenty four hour day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I it, yeah it's um but I looked at it you know I looked at it back then. So I came from, I grew up, my parents were school teachers, both of them. So I didn't have a business background coming into public accounting. And so when I got to work at Ernst & Young, I, I was like, man, this is this is crazy. <laughs> what is wrong with these people? <laughs> oh, I'm, right, I'm right there with
0: you, coming in from a restaurant background. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So
1: I, I, I kind of like, uh, I thought, wow, this is, yeah, this is, that's why I got out of public practice, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you. And, um, that's one of the reasons I got out of public practice. And I think, um, the newer generation, they don't want those hours, but guess what? They're figuring out how to do it. That's what's the cool thing is they're figuring out how to do it.
0: Right. There was this guy in one of my classes in Minnesota. He was a manager, and he shared this story. He said the partner dropped something on his desk, told him how to do the transaction. He said, I think I got a better way. Partner listened. He did. And as the partner was walking away, he says, by the way, I've got a better way you can run this firm. Why do you have 10 partners, and you guys are killing yourselves? Why not have 20 spread the workout? Kind of what you're saying. And actually, the partner listened and began to institute after going back after going back to the partnership explaining this to them they began to add more partners and spread out that workflow wow smart yeah yeah very much so so the sellers are trying to retire there's no real succession plan there or or the talent is not there so they sell off the firm and, and it gets absorbed by the buyer and and just for my my own mindset, you said $5 million in revenues, equates to how many partners and how many associates on average?
1: Wow. You know, um, there's all this... It's funny because people always ask me these data things and I have seen so much variation that I see these, these firm average, these data reports about, okay, the firm average should be this, this, this. I just... I don't pay attention to that stuff at all Hmm, because why do you want to shoot for average? You know, um, (laughs) why do you want to be like everybody else? I mean, that, that sort of mediocrity to me is, uh, is what leads people to, um, working 3000 hours a year and not making (laughs) the money they should make. So, I, you know, we, we did some data points on some really top performing firms and um, I've seen a one owner firm do 2.5 million. Wow. Um, But I've seen a five partner firm do a million. (laughs) So (laughs) um, the guy doing the one owner firm, you know, he had about eight weeks off a year, and cash flowed about $1.3 million a year on a one-owner firm. Wow. I guarantee you he was doing great compared to those five partners doing one point two. So I just feel like there's so many variables. Those averages can really be misleading in some ways.
0: Okay. Got it. And I love the answer, by the way. Why do you want to be a C, C student, right? Yeah. Why do you just want to be average? All right but it also it goes to the region it goes to the client base it goes to the industry and 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 all of that so do you have any interesting stories from the buyer's perspective
1: well do you want a really good story or do you want a disaster story <laughs> let's let,
0: maybe we'll take both let's start with a good story
1: okay yeah i've got one really interesting story: This young man in British Columbia bought a practice that was, um, I'll call it a low fee practice. The, the seller admittedly had under, you know, had underpriced the services and knew that there was room for price increases. And this this young guy, I did a podcast with him. His name is Jason Ding. It's on our um, resources page, and he in one year of ownership, tripled some of the fees on clients. He um, pretty commonly doubled fees on clients. Yeah. And I think he kept about 95%. Wow. And he went to them and he just said, look it, I can't do it for this, guys. (laughs) Yeah. Your fee's going to be next year, your fee's going to be this. So he honored the fee the first year. Mm -hmm. but. He said, "Look, next year, the fee is going to be this, and but here's what you're going to get." Yeah. And they were they were like they were okay with it. He
0: he actually showed them the value that he was going to deliver, yeah. versus just giving a fee number. Right. Right.
1: And he did it beforehand. Yeah. Like this is going to be your fee. This is what we're going to charge. This is what you're going to get.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's a great story. Now let's yeah. hear the disaster story.
1: <laughs> okay, um this one really this one really sh- shifted my mind about sort of it really got me thinking about the whole millennial generation and sort of the generational differences and I had it was sort of the classic boomer owned firm a lot of hours unique tailored service to all the clients you know just very uh very high touch practice and then We sold it to this young man who I I felt like he's very, very intelligent, had background both in public practice and in some private industry experience, which typically when someone has that combination of experience, they're really good with business owners. They're really good if they want to get into the consulting piece. Um, This guy bought the practice in December, walked away from it in February. Wow. Wow. And the the seller got all cash, almost all cash at closing. So he borrowed almost a million dollars and walked away from the practice three months later, filed bankruptcy, divorce. What we learned, I think, later is he was having some pretty severe problems Mm. with his marriage. And... The practice he had been working on that for a couple of months went ahead with the closing and then he didn't quit his job. So he bought a practice, but he didn't quit his job. So he was a CFO and he felt like he could do both and oh wow, couldn't do both. No, so that was probably the biggest disaster and the biggest like head scratch on our part. Like, we couldn't fathom that
0: yeah why do you invest that much money into a business only to walk away from it three months later
1: luckily we've had very few we've sold hundreds of firms now and um that's the only one that that's really a unique case but yeah so let's talk about
0: today let's talk about 2020 and your business uh let's see we've got the tax season extended yeah, you, you said this is normally your 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 slow time. You you ramp up late summer all the way through the first part of the year, but there's some variables out there that are just kind of moving around. That your crystal ball is a little cloudy. These
1: days. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. That's a great way to put it, Peter. <laughs> crystal ball is cloudy. Yeah, it's 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 a bizarre year for all of us, right? It's right. um, but we're usually slow. We don't produce a lot of revenue, so we have a weird business where. All of our revenue, or most of it, comes in from like September to February. So this time of year, we're usually listing a lot of firms. Mm -hmm. We have some buyer activity that that trickles in, but buyers get really serious in the fall. They want to buy prior to tax season. So this year, most of the owners have been very busy with PPP loans and the extended deadlines. So we're not getting the listings right now, but the buyer activity has been stronger than normal. We just got two practices under contract last week. We've got buyers looking at just about every practice that we have. So the demand is there. The financing is there. Actually, the SBA just put out a a notice that if you buy, if you acquire a practice with an acquisition loan through the SBA before September 27th, the first six months are paid for by the SBA.
0: Man, they're just throwing a gazillion dollars out to the SBA, they're throwing,
1: right. They're throwing the money at it. So, I mean, that's a really good incentive for buyers. Right. Six months, and it's it's not a delayed payment; it's a forgiven payment. So, why is there so
0: much de- demand for firms right now? I mean, I you know, with this whole COVID nineteen and this uncertainty of it in the last, but you know, CPAs tend to stay busy. Uh, what, what are the buyers telling you?
1: Well, I mean, we had a couple of. Um, younger people that are just breaking out to get on their own. And I don't, I think there's a lot of, um, maybe there's just a lot of reflection going on. Like, hey, I really want to work for myself or I really want to grow my practice. Or I really, I think there's probably, the sellers are probably thinking, I really want to get out. There's <laughs> probably a lot of that too going on. So, you know, when you have such a a period of time where there's so much change happening in our economy and in our society I, I feel like it's just shaking people loose a little bit <laughs> so that's my theory is is and and that's kind of what we got one buyer whose wife is an attorney for one of the state got one of the governors here in um our state and i don't know it's just a lot there's a lot going on there's a lot of change happening people are thinking about making big life changes right now.
0: Yeah, so I just, this thought just came to my mind. Uh, I was talking to one of my clients in Maryland, and we were talking about this whole COVID and the remote workforce, and they've got three offices. And I said, so when wouldn't, wouldn't will people be coming back to the office? He goes, well, we don't really have a time frame set yet because we don't know. And, and actually, we're kind of finding that they're a little bit more productive at home than maybe they were here. And I'm going, so you're thinking about maybe shutting down one of the offices to save some of that over? He goes, the, the thought has been crossing our mind about that. And I, I've, I've been hearing more and more of this, of, of that scenario where, you know, working from home, that was taboo. Because all we're doing is eating bonbons and watching Ellen. No, we can actually be productive. Uh, then why am I carrying this overhead? Yeah, I mean, that, that could be flowing right into my pocket.
1: Right. Yeah, I think um, this is this COVID is just going to accelerate the move to the cloud. Mm-hmm. It's going to accelerate the you know the uh, tech advances that firms have been experiencing for many years. So I think it's really exciting. I think it's great for CPAs. I think it's even better for clients.
0: Clients of the CPA firm or your
1: yeah. clients. Clients of the CPA firm. And how do you see that better for them? Because, well, in a couple of ways. Like one of the things I think people have realized, CPAs have realized, is that, man, they really need help. The clients need need advice. They need financial advice. They need help to navigate this this time. Mm-hmm. And it's put those CPAs, maybe it's opening their eyes to like, hey, they're, this advisory thing, these <laughs> clients need this. <laughs> this is needed out here, right? And you're going to see commoditization in the compliance work because mm-hmm. the, the the computers do a pretty good job with all that compliance stuff, mm-hmm. right? Right. So why not actually put all that knowledge and those relationships? Uh, you need the, the CPAs are getting maximized right now, mm-hmm. meaning the value they're having to step up the val- to 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 create that value for clients, they're they're getting a glimpse of it. The technology is just going to accelerate that move to more of the advisory role for CPAs, I predict. Which
0: is something that people have been saying with technology, the way it is, artificial intelligence, the way it is, they're doing a good job cranking the numbers. Uh, So we don't have to count the beans anymore. We just have to explain the beans. And there's always a little bit of, yeah, but to your point, they were thrust into this, and with with, with the PPE and the uh, economic disaster assistance loans and all of that. Yeah, that that the, the, uh, my client in, in in Maryland, we were talking, and I mean, they jumped. Once that happened, they jumped all over it. They were actually helping the bankers understand. Yeah, what what they needed to do, which he went. Do you, do you know, we call that marketing. I said, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were the first to market to start doing that, and then once some of the other folks inside the firm saw that, they wanted to jump on this. I think they called their business service aspect of it, yeah. and
1: said, they're they're having a blast doing it. Yeah, well, I, I'm in um, I'm in EO, which Entrepreneurs Organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm very. Um, friends with a lot of entrepreneurs here in Charleston and um they they're not they're not getting you know I've heard prior to covid I've heard numerous complaints from really successful business owners that hey my CPA is just not doing it for me right I mean they're doing my taxes and give me a financial statement but shouldn't they be doing this shouldn't they be doing that you know meaning like shouldn't they be helping me set up cost systems in my business so I understand my margins and so I understand what's profitable, what lines are profitable, what's not, where I'm losing money. like, well, you know, in theory you would think they would come to you and offer that. But um, in practice, it's rare. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you're a business owner, you kind of need to be proactive to, to look for that. But the accountants I think need to be proactive in helping their business owners realize they can do that for them. Right.
0: And that, that firm, the one who jumped on it was the new co-managing partner, who is not my age, <laughs> who's younger, and just a, a go-getter. I mean, and all, all over it. And he goes, I'm not sure what our competition's doing because we're so far ahead in front of them right now yeah. in, in the marketplace. So, yeah, that's uh, – and – there's always a silver lining in in craziness and with covid there's there's i mean the health issues yes that's the but what's happening to business and the transformation of business we're not going back to pre covid
1: no it's going to be way better it's yeah. going to be way better you're going to see a, I, th- I think you're going to see potentially if the market is left without too much interference if the market is left to heal, and to recover, Mm -hmm. I think that we'll see a boom. And I think accountants can participate in that boom if they choose to. I think they
0: should choose to, because if they don't, then they're going to be left behind and and out of the market. And speaking of technology, and and speaking of this, um, on your website, Poe Group Advisors, there's this little... Piece here, not a little piece, but it says, I because when I looked up, I don't remember seeing it the last time. Accounting, <laughs> Accounting Practice Academy.
1: Yes. Tell me about this. This sounds cool. It's, oh, I'm so excited about it. I tell you what, can I, are you, are you webcamming this? Are we, are we going to record? Are you going to send this out, the video portion of this? I can, I can do both. I, yes. I'm going to, I'm going to take my webcam off for a second. I'm going to show okay. you something. Okay. Hopefully you can see it. So you see that right oh, there? Oh yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that we created just the different modules and we had it framed and it's all post-it notes and everything. Oh, anyway, cool. yeah, so um last fall, um, well, I've been thinking about doing some kind of coaching because we gotta do some coaching um naturally when, when a seller comes to us three, five years out, and we're trying to brainstorm how they can optimize their practice. So I've done just nationally been sort of a coach, an unpaid coach, but a coach nonetheless. And then we did some one-on-one coaching uh, for, for a fee. And doing that, we developed a coaching program. Okay. And then I decided last fall, before COVID was even known about, to create a virtual workshop for CPAs. And we worked on it. Really, uh, it it was a bigger project than I had anticipated, but uh, (laughs) all this winter and we rolled it out. It came out, our first beta group came out on May the 4th of this year. What Academy is, it's eight weeks. It's about a three hour per week investment. And what we've done is we've taken, we've sold over $100 million worth of CPA firms and what we've learned, we've baked into this eight-week workshop, and it's a strategy shop. It's it's about mindset. It's about the strategies um, that we've seen move the needle successfully for firms that are become high performers. Mm-hmm.
0: I would, so when you flipped it around, there, the first thing I saw was eighty twenty.
1: Yeah,
0: and explain the eighty twenty rule if they. Ha- I think most well, people know I, of it, but...
1: Yeah, I can't give it away because I feel like that's sort of a, a little bit of our secret sauce. Uh, but let me tell you just about the 80-20. If, if people haven't aren't familiar with it, it's a really powerful concept. And it applies in so many different ways. Let me just give you a couple of examples. If you look at your own wardrobe, probably 20% of your clothes get 80% of the wear. If you look at carpets in your home, 20% of your carpets get 80% of the wear. Okay? <laughs> if you look at a sales team, it's commonly known that most sales team, you'll have high performance. You'll have 20% of your high performers will produce 80% of your results on a sales team. Right. There are numerous applications in every business for this. So that's um that's something that we demonstrate very we 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 take every so in academy we, we present a concept each week mm-hmm. which is virtually presented very succinctly and then we give you tools and you have to do the work so the data that you're working with is your data okay and then and then there's also a community aspect of it too so we group um the participants with five or six others that are in the course And they have an hour conference about that concept and the those tools for that week.
0: So you take this in sequence. It's not all out there at one time. Right. So they have to follow this program, which is which holds the feet to the fire.
1: Correct. And they don't get they don't get the you only get one module per week. You don't get the whole program released at once.
0: Uh, I do have to share with you, somebody shared the 80-20 rule to me like this. I spend 80% of the time with 20% of my problems. Yep. <laughs> and that's another way of looking at it. And You don't want it that way, but yeah. That...
1: Yeah. And the data, <clears throat> it might not always be 80-20. It might be 70-30, yeah. but it's still, you know, you can work less and make more. Right. It's it's not that hard. That's the that's the thing. It's really not that hard. Then why do we make it so hard?
0: Excuse me. Let me rephrase that. Why do I make that so hard? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think it's mindset. You know, if you build, I, I tell people like the concept of time. I was an auditor. Were you? Were you an auditor? Please? I was on the I was on the tax side. Tax side. Okay. Well, anyone in audit. So if you're in back in the old days when we used paper for everything, <laughs> um, I was on the. I was on an audit in Atlanta with e y and y and they gave us, the client gave us this huge conference table. It was like 15, 20 feet long. <laughs> and we were working crazy hours and we came back in from lunch one day and I noticed like there was not a patch of real estate on that table that wasn't covered by a piece of paper. So it looked like a disaster. It looked like a paper disaster on that table. And You take, you know, the point is, is like, you take whatever's available to you. So if you make available, if you make your schedule available 3,000 hours a year, that's what your work is going to take. So it's all about creating a structure and the boundaries and following that. So as a business owner, you get to make your own rules. So... Um, you you have to create the structure. That's the that's the upside and the downside of being a business owner.
0: Right, and, and as you well know, I, I'm an improviser at heart. In structured improvisation, there is some similarity, but there's also a big dichotomy between the two. <laughs> Yes, I can see that definitely, <laughs> yeah, and it's oh, squirrels, uh, okay <laughs> but I've, I've I've learned to do better at it, but i I love that concept of the 80 twenty um actually, there was a a, a business in illinois Illinois, uh, Chicago, and that was actually in their mission statement, the 80 20 rule, which I'd never seen that in any, any mission statement before, and I thought
1: that was that was really cool, so as we begin to wrap up. How can people find you? Well, the website is probably the best way, pogroupadvisors.com. That's P-O-E. P-O-E, Group Advisors, O with an O. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I'm on LinkedIn. Just look me up, Brandon Poe. And um, you can email me, Poe at pogroupadvisors.com.
0: And I've seen his advertisements on the back of the Georgia Society of CPAs magazine. I assume that you're in other um, uh, state society magazines throughout the country. I I find this fascinating. Uh, We have somewhat of a similar background that we didn't last very long in public. (laughs) Want want to do something different? But that's the thing that, that I love that this profession has so many different avenues to take. Uh, and when I was teaching at the, at the university, I tell my students, y- "You'll go in as an honor as a tax person, but don't." I mean, there are other avenues that you can take. That because of what you learned in that skill set, there's so much more that you can do.
1: Yes, yes, and accounting is such a great foundational skill set, right? It's just there's nothing like it. And I think I've learned how I learned how to work hard. I learned how to. Think you know accounting is great, and there's so many different directions people can go in. I've seen, I've seen people sell their CPA firms to go into other ventures. I've seen some really successful entrepreneurs come out of the CPA industry.
0: Absolutely, and, and I do know one thing that CPAs really are in need of is uh, nonprofits. They need financial advisors. They need somebody to be the treasurer or, or have some oversight and. and I've, I've I've served on the high society board. Was chair of the board. I'm now past president of my local NSA chapter, and somehow I became treasurer, Brandon. And <laughs> I, I swore I would never do that. I'm going to say this out loud and on the recording. I'm actually enjoying it. Ah. I've, I've taken I've taken what QuickBooks was producing and going. This is not good. And I have a friend who created these queries and macros and stuff. We take the trial ballots, send it to him. He produces what I need. I got charged. That. Now my board for the first time is now beginning to understand how we operate. And it's taken a year to do that. But it's been fun to to get that understanding and be able to present it in a way that they can actually go, oh, yeah, I can see we were losing money like crazy and what we need to do now yep. versus the, versus some old uh, ways in the past. But that's just called evolution. But I would have never thought I would have said the words. I'm enjoying it.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. You bring up a great point. Like serving on boards gives you that advisor. You're in that advisory role. Right. You remember we incorporated some improv mentions in academy and actually mentioned your some of your writing in there because advisory improv and advisory go hand in hand you're trying to help them build and it takes a different mindset it takes that creative building mindset to help a client build their business which is what advisory is all about.
0: Cool. I, I forgot that I that I sent this stuff to you. Apparently, my memory's not as good as it used to be, but I, I appreciate that. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's good stuff. So we're getting great feedback on the on the uh,
0: course so far. Cool. And I, and I wish you all the great success with that course. I I know it's going to be a big hit. Thanks, Peter. Right. I I'm not so much doing. I I'm not so much cranking the numbers. But I'm also going, wait, this doesn't sound right. You know, this can't and, and and going back and going, but look, this is our cash over the last twelve months. See that trend? See how it works? That's historical and it's it almost mirrors itself. So when we're planning things out, okay, we have a better idea of what our future cash will look like. Yeah. And and we we didn't have a uh we have an investment account. There was no finance committee, there was no oversight, there was no governance. The Ohio Society and, and Clark Price taught me a lot about governance. We put that in place, and we become more transparent to our membership. And they're they're like, "Well, this is the first time ever." Yeah, and that's that's kind of cool.
1: It's it's cool, and it's it it kind of it represents what I'm saying about the profession. Is we have the ability to make business owners more professional managers of their businesses. That's a quote right there. Yeah, it's, um, it's true. It happens to be true, right?
0: It happens yes. to be true. As, and, and with that being said, the opportunities are abundant in yes. an advisory role versus a compliance role.
1: Absolutely.
0: And, and as, as partners and firms I've talked with, they, they get the most satisfaction by truly Helping their clients and not just providing a piece of paper or an invoice. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to that gentleman you talked about. This We're raising this fee, but this is what you're going to get from it. Adding that value. Wow. Didn't think we'd go there, but I'm glad we did, Brandon. That was awesome. <laughs> well, thank you, Peter. Oh, it was a blast having you. I, I Someday our paths will cross, but I want to come to Charleston. Yeah, uh, um, my favorite restaurant there is Snob, slightly north of Broad. Yep the 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 uh, the, the oh what is it? It's it's the rare tuna with the uh, I think it's 100 grits. I don't know. I but just absolutely love the food. Absolutely love the culture down there. Yeah. I'm coming to visit you. Don't come and to Columbus.
1: <laughs> abs- yeah, come here. I'll take you out. Um, I know a really great steakhouse here too. If you hadn't tried that. Is a place called Halls Chop House.
0: I but didn't. I heard of it.
1: You have to get a reservation early. So, if you come down, let me know a few weeks ahead of time if you'd like to try something—a steakhouse. But if you're if you're set on seafood, then Halls is not your place. But um, uh, yeah,
0: steak, seafood. Mm. Just it's like a, I, I love New Orleans, and I look at Charleston as a little cleaner new orleans
1: yeah that's you know that's that's my observation too when i went to new orleans i'm like this is like charleston but charleston's a little cleaner yeah
0: (laughs) a lot but (laughs) exactly well thank you very much for taking time i've enjoyed this conversation and i look forward to when we can actually see each other face to face in the future
1: likewise all right man
0: i want to thank brandon for his time and sharing his knowledge about buying and selling accounting firms I also want to thank Brandon for the shout-out about some of my improv content being included in the Accounting Practice Academy and for being a guest on his podcast. Thank you for listening. If you join this podcast, please take a moment and leave a review on iTunes or whatever platform you down your podcast from. Also, please subscribe and share this episode with a friend. I will conclude by saying, improv is like the hokey pokey. You have to put your whole self
1: like what you just heard visit c-suite radio.com c-suite radio turning the volume up on business this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network
2: for more top business podcasts visit c-suite radio.com